Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached Word of God in agreement to the Scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. thankful or have any sense of gratitude spiritually, but I'm thankful for what the Lord is doing. Amen. You may be seated if you would like, and we're just going to make a journey through the Word today and ask you, if you will, to, to stay with me for a little while and let the anointing of the Lord speak something very, very special and specific into our heart here today. I am... I'm going to be speaking from the 13th chapter of the book of Acts. And so if you would like to maybe turn there, um, this is where I'll be kind of drawing my thought. And some of this is going to be very familiar territory. I ask you, if you will, to stay with me till the end. I pray God would just speak something into our spirit here today in the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. What a privilege it is to let the word touch our heart. Jeremiah 18 said that the Lord directed him to the potter's house and and it was there he learned a valuable lesson that the potter's hands can not only mold but they can mend. And so today the spirit of God can not only mold us if we are needing that today in our lives but he can also mend us And I'm thankful for that. So wherever it is that we come from, whatever background, then we know that God is able to minister to those needs. When it comes to the church, I want to just speak today. My subject this morning is just simply this, the call of the church. And uh, that's um, two very broad statements. The word call, of course, is applicable to many, many things and the church applicable to many things. So I realize that I'm kind of starting out pretty wide here today, but I hope the Lord will help us narrow this down to one central thought. How's that? When it comes to the focus and the function of the local church, I'm quite sure that there's no shortage of opinions as to how that ought to be carried out. Some would say that the church is uh, simply a vehicle through which uh, we can visit the sick, pray for them, and things of that nature. Some would hold the opinion that uh, the church at large is just here to to care for the needs of people, maybe to um, people that are going through important transitions of their lives, whether that's marriage or the birth of children or or even crossing the unavoidable bridge of death. And and, uh, some would think that maybe that is the function of the church. And still others would say that the church is here to provide guidance and and comfort during important times of their life. And I'm I'm not here to argue any of these points. As a matter of fact, I believe that all of those 
are functions of the church at, on some level. At some point in our lives, we find ourselves doing just that. We're trying to help people through transitions. As a church, we are trying to be there for those that have um, some very, very difficult bridges to cross, and the church is there. Um, I think they're viable roles. I think they're vital roles. However, through the last several years, I've discovered something while serving as a pastor that I think is an observation worth considering. And that is that for the last 24 and a half years or so, this one thing I know, no matter how well we are doing as a church, no matter how wonderfully things seem to be working for us, I've discovered that we are never too far away from slipping into a maintenance mentality. I mean, we can just have uh, wonderful things going on and all kind of victory reports, but it doesn't take very long, very much, and we just slip right down into the rut of someone, please tend to me, someone take care of me, and, and, uh, and that's a very dangerous thing because it's a constant pull. It is a constant pull, and we have to be very intentional not to allow that to happen as a church. And not uh, am I only speaking to church leaders this morning, but also also to everyone that's sitting here. Uh, there are very few services go by where we're not in danger of just no, no matter how good the last service was, we can come here and and just be sitting absolutely on the bottom. Amen. Failing to pull any momentum with us into the next service, the next week, or whatever that may be. And so uh, I, I would ask you today to keep that in the, in the forefront of your mind that I, I need to make sure I guard my life against that. Does the church fill these roles from time to time? Yes, they do. Unequivocally, yes, they do. But the church has got to be more than just my encouragement station. Amen. What, what would happen what, and what does happen in various parts of the world where people do not have the privilege to have corporate worship. And so I can't become so addicted to this that I can't serve God outside of the perimeters of this. Amen, I, I may have to encourage myself. David found himself in that exact situation and I know we're f familiar with the story and, and we kind of read over it and gloss over it and think that somehow David had this just supernatural ability uh, superhuman ability, but he did not. He was a man made of the same fabric that you and I are made of. And when he was in a, in a cave at the, at the very end of his life, or seemingly not the end literally, but when he had just come to a very low moment in his life, the Bible says that he encouraged himself. Amen. And I'm, I think I'm looking at people this morning that have had to encourage yourself. <laughs> Amen, You've, you had to look yourself in the mirror and say, you're, not only can you make it, you're going to make it. You're going to make it, amen. So let's, let's shift our attention back here to the book of Acts for just a moment. <clears throat> the scene in Acts shifts back to the church in Antioch. And this is where uh, in chapter 11, uh, the people had been scattered by persecution in Jerusalem and, and uh, they were preaching the gospel to the Gentiles and Pardon me for not just having a lot of time this morning to be able to break this down in just bite-sized pieces, but 
the, they were broadening the scope of the church and the reach of the church. And in the process of all that, that caused some havoc in the church and it caused persecution in the church. And, uh, and so they were reaching out beyond the, the scope of the Jews and reaching into the Gentiles and preaching the gospel to them. At the beginning of chapter 12, we see that Herod has James, the brother of John, killed and Simon Peter in prison. And as tragic as all of this seems, this seems like, uh, my goodness, it could get no worse. But by the end of the chapter, something very powerful is happening. By the time you get to the end of the 12th chapter of Acts, the Bible says that the word of God grew and multiplied. So in the process of what seemed like tragedy, in the process of what seemed like, in, in, in the process of tragedy, let me back up, because the church really was being persecuted and people really were being killed and, and people were being imprisoned, so this was not make-believe. But in the process of that, in the process of all of that agony, the scripture says that the word of God grew and multiplied. Luke further reports that Barnabas and Saul had returned from Jerusalem and from this point forward, the story of, of, of the missionary endeavor of the church in Antioch begins to come to light. This resulted in the planting of many churches in the Gentile world and, and uh, there is little doubt in any of our minds that Acts 13 is a, a turn point, a shifting point. The gospel goes out to the Gentile world as the church in Antioch responds to its rightful business. There are several things that are deserve, deserving of our attention and I want to underline a few of those things this morning. The one thing that we must draw from this passage is this, that the Spirit of God still speaks today and God's Spirit does not just make suggestions to the church, but God's Spirit commands the church. Now, let me further be clear when I'm talking about the call of the church. We can all feel real safe if we're misunderstanding the terminology church because in many of our minds, the church is some foreign entity. It's just a, a corporation. It's just a body. But if we have, to, uh, we have to get real enough to realize that I am the church and that you are the church. And so when we're talking about the call of the church, I could just change that title and erase that and talk to you about your call, the call of you, the call of me, amen. And so the Spirit speaks and in Acts 13 and two, the Bible says, and they ministered to the Lord and fasted and the Holy Ghost said, separate, uh, separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have called them. And God is still calling people today and that's a, very, very humbling thing. And I, I just interject this today just from my perspective. I've had the privilege to, to serve uh, on the district board for some 15 years now. And I, and I just said just a couple of weeks ago during our camp meeting and, and listened to the call of God on young lives that, that said we have felt the Lord dealing with us about uh, the ministry in some cases and others that have been dealt with to go to specific cities and begin a church. And so what I'm talking to you about from Acts 13, don't get so lost and think that all this is just all shut up and all locked up and closed up in here. But the, the spirit of God is still speaking to lies and, and men and women are still heeding the call and the command of God upon their lives. So I'm excited about that. The Holy Spirit 
the Spirit of God told them what to do. And when they obeyed, watch what happened. The Bible says in Acts 13, three and four, and when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. They sent them away. So the church fasted, prayed, laid hands on them, and they were commissioned by the church, by the body, to go out and to minister. And the scripture says in verse number four, so they, being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, departed, they departed, amen, they left, they were commissioned by the Spirit of God, they were commissioned by the church, and when God puts his hand of approval on us, and when, and when the church sanctions the ministry of God, Amen. We can send forth into the harvest field those that God would deal with. As I've often taught, the, the idea of world missions was God's idea and not man's idea. It was the Spirit of God that spoke and told them what to do. And then it was the tender heart of men and women that rose to the occasion of that spoken word and, and embraced that and pulled that into their spirit. Whether or not this was an audible voice, amen, that is not really relevant, but the spirit spoke into the heart of men and they began to move. What matters is that God spoke and man listened. When I talk about taking the gospel to the world, when we speak of taking the gospel to the world, Amen. I know that oftentimes that world vision can just cause many people to cower under the shadow of something that just seems like an impossible task. But I will tell you this morning that when I talk about a world mission, I believe that God has called the church to take the gospel to the world. And so if the world seems like that's just too large for you to get involved in, then I wanna tell you that you're hanging around too low on the ladder. Amen. If that just seems like an impossibility, I'm asking you to climb just a little bit higher. And as you climb higher, you can see how indeed that we can be world changers. Amen. I feel like that we have just one central train of thought on the matter of world missions, and that is global missions. And I, I think it's obvious that as a church, we believe, firmly believe in global missions. We do not just talk about global missions, but every year, the beginning of the year, as a church family, we make financial commitments as to what we can and will contribute through the venue of this local assembly to global missions, and we do that on a monthly basis. And there are some nearly 30 families, missionary families, that this church supports on a monthly basis all around the world. And we do that, uh, we don't, that's, there's nothing mystical about that. You know how we do that? You give, I give, and together, and together we are able to do that. We can't just say, oh God, bless the missionaries. <laughs> oh God, just meet the needs of the missionaries. But we gotta pull out ye old checkbook. Can I get a witness? <laughs> and you gotta fill it out and sign it. And we gotta turn it in and we have to work together. We can't just, you know, we just can't join hands, sing kumbaya and assume everything's gonna work out. It doesn't work that way. We've gotta get involved, roll up our sleeves. We do that not only with our finances, but we do that with our talent and our ability. As a matter of fact, just a few days ago, we had two men 
in Guatemala working, and uh, you'll be hearing and seeing a little bit more about that in our second service today. This is not our first endeavor along these lines, but they went back again. And so I, I, I'm confident that I'm talking to people who understand at least what we're talking about when we mention global missions. I don't want anybody to get lost in the message that I'm trying to convey because I do believe that global missions is a way that we can reach around the world from the vantage point of this, this local assembly. But I also believe in North American missions, which is something we have always formally referred to as home missions. But I believe in North American missions and through this effort, we reach out to missionaries right here in the United States and more specifically, right here in the state of Florida. A few weeks ago, a church in our section was finally able to acquire their own building. For many, many years, they've been meeting in rented facilities and many times throughout that, that uh, the last several years, they've had to move, they've had to up, uh, uproot themselves from this building and get a, the, another building somewhere else. And so their congregation has been quite transient. And so you can just imagine that if you would try to slip yourself into their shoes for just a moment. But a few weeks ago, they were able to finally purchase their own facility. And so they just barely had enough money, of course, to make this purchase and to buy the building and do a little bit of renovation to try to get it suitable enough for them to have service. And I uh, was excited and wanted to rejoice with them in, in their acquisition, but there was a lot of work to be done. And then there was a need that had been brought to my attention specifically, and so... They wanted, uh, they had enough money for the carpet on the floor and where the chairs were, but they didn't have enough money to carpet the platform and, and just one more area of their building. And so I just felt the Lord dealt with my heart about that, that that was something that we could do as a church and uh, through our missions giving. And so I asked them to give us a, an approximate price on that carpet. We were able to join with them. And so uh, this morning, I'm not sure if the carpet is down or not, but when the carpet is laid, that's gonna be carpet that's laid uh, through your giving and through your sacrifice. And so this is not just vaporized somewhere. It doesn't just go around the world, but right here in, this, in, in our own district. And so I'm thankful for that. Amen. So these are, these are wonderful mission fields to be involved in, the call of the church. I believe that God has called us to do things of that nature. And so we're involved in those things. But I, I don't believe that those are the only mission fields. I don't think that we are only involved in missions because we reach around the world with finance or with ability. I don't think that we are involved in missions simply because we're trying, trying to meet the needs of home missionaries and things of that nature. But I firmly believe, as will happen in just a few hours on this day, that when the teens from this church step into a nursing home, or to an assisted living facility, or into a jail, or into a prison, or even in the home of someone that is shut in, whether that is permanent or temporary. I believe that when we step through those doors, we walk in as missionaries in the name of Jesus. We didn't come there, we didn't walk in there so that we could feel better about ourselves. We didn't do that so that we could kind of get some little chip off of our shoulder Amen. But we did that. We did that so that we could represent Jesus Christ to hurting men and women everywhere. Amen. This morning we were doing a little teasing around about who someone was asking me, is there anything they could do for me? 
And uh, my son, Justin, spoke up and said, well, you could just preach the first service for him. <laughs> kind of put that question to the test there. And uh, so a little joking, a little jesting going along there. And after a while, I think he said, well, why don't you do it or something like that? And Justin said, well, I could. There's several things I want to get off my chest. So I looked at him, so I said, so what you're telling me is that in about the next 10 minutes, you're fixing to flush what I've been working on for 24 and a half years? He said, probably. I mean, we didn't, we're not doing this on our own. We're not, we're not just doing this to try to get something off our chest. We're not walking in so that we can say, look at me and pat ourselves on the back. This is not about who's holding the microphone, whose name is in the bulletin or on the sign. But when we walk in there, we are walking in there to touch somebody's life and hopefully make an eternal difference. Amen, an eternal difference. Planting a seed of hope. The Bible says that one is gonna plant and another will water, but it is God that gives the increase. And sometimes when we get so caught up in only being harvest-minded, when we are only harvest-minded, then we shut down the potential ministries of the church. But the scripture says, one waters, one plants, one waters, but God that gives the increase. And so I ask today, is not the call of the church that God would call some of us just to be planners. Amen, some of us are just gonna be called to be planners. I'm not trying to discourage you, I'm trying to be honest with you today. And that somewhere along the line, somebody else is gonna water that seed. Something else is gonna come to light. Something else is gonna wake up and that seed's gonna burst through the ground and and then God somewhere will have someone to harvest that seed. And so I say, Lord, the call of the church is multifaceted. The call of the church is powerful. The call of the church, we're not just here to sing a few songs and to be seen and heard of men, but we are called to be a missionary for the cause and the sake of the kingdom. These are all forms of missions. Someone once said, we are all called to be missionaries. It's just a matter of whether or not we obey. And I would agree. And again, I'm not suggesting that everyone is called to leave their native country and take the gospel somewhere into other cultures and things of that nature. That takes a very special call of God and that requires spiritual gifts and not everybody, not everybody possesses that. And by the same token, I don't think everybody, while I believe that everybody is called to the ministry, I preach that, have preached that for decades now, but I don't believe that everybody's called to a pulpit ministry unless they sense God's will to do so. Otherwise, if you're trying to work outside of your field of labor or outside of your calling, you're probably going to get discouraged when the battle gets hot. Amen. But that's why we need to make sure that our calling is from God and not from some emotional experience or, you know, some people have an idealistic view of a lot of things in life. People can have an idealistic view of the ministry and people can have an idealistic view of a, a, a policeman. People can have an idealistic view of a paramedic and you know, think, man, that uniform, that just looks so cool. But what you need to remember is that it's not always cool. Sometimes a policeman is standing in an intersection because the the power is out and he's standing in the driving rain. He's just directing traffic. How bad you want to be a policeman that day? Amen. Sometimes a paramedic is called to a 
a, a critical, brutal scene, amen, where they're just literally picking up parts of, of human beings. It wouldn't be so cool to be one that day. And so don't let an idealistic view of something skew, your, uh, skew your, your opinion of those things. So we need to make sure that God is called. A call from God is essential. Can you say amen? The Spirit had a distinct work in mind for Barnabas and Saul to do. Namely, they were to preach his name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. And so from start to finish, the Spirit is sovereign over the church and the work that he calls us to do. And that work is taking the gospel to all people. Now I just believe that we take the gospel or have the potential, the ability, the opportunity to take the gospel to people when we do something as simple as pay our bill at a restaurant or when we simply stand in a convenience store to pay for our fuel. Amen, we have an opportunity. I don't wanna just name a few things and leave people with the impression that that's the only ministry points of a church. But I believe every day that we walk and wherever we go, we have opportunities to make a difference in the lives of people. Amen. And so we have to take the gospel to all people. Another very important task of the church is this. In order to be obedient to the spirit, the leaders of the church... That is me and everybody in leadership must take time to seek the will of God. It is so easy to get caught up in serving. It is so easy to get caught up in the mechanical aspects, the machinery side, an aspect of things that we fail to take time to meet with the Lord in worship and in prayer. And so we need to realize that I have to have God we need Sunday school teachers this morning. I'm proud to say that we have Sunday school teachers. Amen, not, not that we just need them, but we have Sunday school teachers that realize their calling is not, they're not running a daycare. Amen, their calling is they're not just tending to your children uh, for a few moments this morning, but they're planting the seed of the word of God. I'll talk about this a little bit later in our service as well, but they had some 19 or 20 young people yesterday right here teaching Bible studies to them. They weren't just trying trying to take them off your hands so that you could do whatever you wanted to do yesterday for a few moments. But someone rose to the occasion and said, I see the need to plant some seed in the heart of these children. And so we need to, we need to make sure that we meet with God. We need to make sure that we have the call of God and the brand of fire in our heart with the great numbers of the church in Antioch and with many of them, many of them being from paganistic backgrounds. There is little doubt in my mind that the Antioch church wasn't a handful. <laughs> Amen, needs here and needs there, people crying for attention. And so here is the bottom line, that if you spend all of your time responding to the needs and not enough time seeking the Lord, then somewhere along the line, we miss the direction that God has for us to take. I realize that the role and responsibilities of leaders are very, are varied, and they are many, but I can't just meet the needs, literally, of everything here physically and then just come here next Sunday or Wednesday and say, you know what, folks, I've just been so caught up in doing this and been so caught up in doing that that I haven't had time to pray and study and I haven't heard from God, so we're just gonna sing our way through this tonight. No, 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 we can't do that. 
Amen. We've got to meet and minister to the needs. Amen. But we also need leadership that says today, this moment, I've got to take some time out. I've got to be with God in prayer. I've got to talk to him today. I need his spirit to touch me because we are not just entertainers, but we are teachers to explain and apply the word of God and his truth to the church. In our day, we have the opportunity to attend all sorts of conferences and meetings that are designed to minister to specific needs. And I'm humbled and I, I, I hope you don't get weary with hearing about it because I don't even have plans to stop talking about it. It's not even on my radar to stop talking about it. But when I think about how privileged we are, when I think about how privileged we are versus the generation, just a, just a generation ago, just a, just a few short steps into yesterday that had no access. They had no access to various ministries that could touch the specific needs that we have as a church today. Amen, that's why I'm always gonna be saying, ladies, make plans to go to ladies' conference. Men, make plans to go to men's conference. That's why I'm gonna be always behind this pulpit pounding and say, parents, make sure your children are in youth camp. You know why? Because we have all these tools available. We have all this is available and you know what it's going to do? It's gonna help us fulfill the call of the church. Amen, this will help us. Never, never in the history of the church have we been more armed. Have we been more suited? Never have we had more at our disposal than we have today. And so I say, church, rise. Amen, rise and, and let the spirit of God anoint our minds and our hands. We have so many opportunities to make a difference. When the Lord sent out these first missionaries, he did not send them one by one, but he sent two. While team ministry sometimes is difficult, as we see in the life of Barnabas and Paul, it is God's way. God designed the church to be a body, us to be a family, not a single member. This church is not just about me. I thank you for the love and respect that you show me and my family and I appreciate that and I get my role in this church but I also understand that if, if everything has to come from me then the church is only gonna grow as much as I can handle. Amen, it will just go to what I can carry. But if we start dividing this load and putting this on the shoulder of someone else here and there and here and there, amen, then we can multiply and the church can grow. And so we need to complement one another as leaders and work, learn how to work through our differences in the spirit of humility. Because here's the bottom line. I can't do it without you and you can't do it without me. So we had better figure out how to do it together together in harmony, amen, amen. It's not always easy to work out difficulties. <laughs> Even though you're looking at me with the expression that you think it is, but it is not always easy to work out, work through some difficulties. We gotta be ministering to the Lord and realize that we've gotta take time to worship. I've gotta take time to seek God's direction for the church. And so the Bible says that they were ministering to the Lord and praying and fasting. These men were devoted to the Lord and then they were devoted to the work God had called them to. And sometimes we get that backwards. We get devoted to the work and not the Lord of the work. But my first obligation is to the Lord of the work. 
Amen. These men took time to worship. And the Lord gave them some history-changing directives. The Bible says they fasted and they were praying. And in the Bible, we see that fasting is often connected to the need of seeking God's direction or getting an answer from God in prayer on important matters. And so church leaders must be obedient to the direction that God gives, even when it's difficult. And so they sought the Lord and the Lord answered them. But they might not have liked what they heard at first. Barnabas and Saul were two of the most gifted men in the church and God sends them out on this missionary journey. Amen, now he sent them out. They were two very gifted men. They were two very gifted men. And, and it is just, just stands to reason if you just play that out in, in more modern way of thinking that when they left, they had to leave a huge ministry gap there. Amen. The other leaders now are gonna be burdened with more work. Somebody had to take on more and grow themselves and stretch themselves. But they obeyed and trusted God to make up the difference. Amen. God's ultimate goal is for the world to be filled with his glory. The book of Habakkuk chapter two, verse 14, I'll just read this to you. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. That was the, that was the wish and the will of God that the world would be filled with the word. God would be glorified on earth when the gospel is preached to all nations. When the church preaches the gospel to all nations, God will use that to save the elect to his name. It's not uncommon for us today to judge the strength of a church by how many people they have in attendance. Amen, I understand that. But it's not uncommon for us to judge a church by that. But as I, I've read this illustration a long, long time ago and I've used it before, but I like the way one pastor put it. He said, instead of asking how many people will your church seat, we ought to ask how many people will your church send? The church is or ought to be a sending agent. And so our enemy is working overtime sometimes to cause us to lose our focus. So we must fight back and be determined above all else to never, ever lose sight of our mission. I wanna shift, if I may, this morning, and I wanna, I'm not closing, but I'm thinking about it. <laughs> I'm circling the airport, that helps you. <laughs> the end is in sight. I, I, I get weary, I say I, I, I'm closing and there are people that I have closing counters. <laughs> closing counters that are out here. They, they turn in their statistics to me from time to time on my averages, so I'm not closing, just thinking about it. But I do wanna close with something that has recently stirred me to the core, to the core. And I trust that God will help me now more than he has in the last several minutes because there is something very, very important for us to hear. And so are you listening? The book of Revelation 22 and 17. Revelation 22 and 17. You put that on the screen. The Bible says, and the spirit and the bride say, come. <clears throat> and let him 
that heareth say come, and let him that is a thirst come, and whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. Now that's a powerful scripture. Just five verses away from the completion of the last book of the Bible, a very powerful command. My focus is not this morning going to be on the entire verse. I just want us to look at and embrace the truth and the responsibility of the first sentence of this scripture. I may be asking too much for you to digest the entire scripture. So I just want you to look at just the first eight words because they are saturated with responsibility. And the spirit and the bride say, come. There will be no quarrel among us this morning to decide who the spirit is. That's a capital S. We are confident that that's not just a spirit, but the spirit of God. So there is no quarrel about who the spirit is. We clearly embrace this as a reference to Jehovah God. And in all reality, I really don't think because this is an adult Bible class and Many of you have been around the block several times. I don't really think there is a huge debate as to who the bride would be. Wouldn't we agree that the bride is the church? Amen. If we agree that the bride is the church, if so, then we must understand that there is an equal responsibility with God for the church to be a compelling voice in this hour. Amen. I... I enjoy preaching. My wife will tell you that. I, I enjoy preaching. I, I don't, I'm not just my preaching. I don't mean that, amen, but I enjoy the preached word of God. And I'm telling you, I heard a message that has stirred me to the core and I come here with a very heavy burden this morning. Amen, it is true. It is true that no man, the scripture says, can come to the Father except the Spirit draw him. Amen, but the Spirit must have somewhere and someone to draw that person to. There's a powerful mandate that has been placed upon the church. And I mentioned a moment ago that we cannot afford to be a church that simply lives in the existence of a maintenance mode. Let this be all about me. Let this be all about me. I've gotta have some strength. I gotta have this, I gotta have that. But if I am reading this scripture right, I believe that the bride must also engage herself into this process. So the Bible says that the spirit and the bride say, come. I am not negating my responsibility as a pastor and I think I can freely speak for every minister in this church that would not negate our responsibility to walk to this desk with a God-ordained brand of fire in our bosom to share with this congregation every time we walk into this house. But I'm going to tell you this morning, I think that we have got this thing all wrong. I think that we have placed so much emphasis that all the responsibility of what is supposed to happen in the service is gonna be placed upon the shoulders of the pastor or the preacher or the singer or the musicians or the praise team that we're gonna work all this thing up into a just right 
pinnacle or point and then somebody's gonna come bursting down the aisle and repent of their sins. I'm gonna tell you this morning that the responsibility does not just solely rest upon my shoulders to make sure that everything is just right. I get my job description, but it doesn't rest just solely on my shoulders, nor does the responsibility just rest solely upon the shoulders of singers and musicians and leaders of various types. But the Bible said that when the Spirit says come, that the church ought to also say come. Amen. The most vital and important part of any service is when we get to the conclusion of the service because it is there that the Spirit of God ought to demonstrate what's been, what we've been singing about, what we've been testifying about, what we've been preaching about. But too often, too often, hear me, too often whenever we get to that point in the service and somebody says, let's all stand, I see it happen all the time. People start gathering up their pocketbook. People start gathering up their kids. People, you know why? Because whenever I said let's stand you thought the preacher said let's go. Amen. And we dismiss ourselves and we reluctantly sometimes walk down to the front and we just whisper a few words of prayer. But I'm telling you that the Bible says that the spirit and the bride say come. Amen. When the, when, whenever the church reaches the point amen, of, come, of conclusion when we're coming to the end of the service while the spirit is moving on the heart of someone to pray then it ought to be followed up it ought to be equal by the church saying come on amen it ought to be equal by the church saying I beg of you to come as well hallelujah it's not just the spirit that's speaking and a bunch of carnal people are sitting here thinking we don't have time to pray. I don't have time to intercede. I gotta go here. I gotta go there. I gotta do this. I gotta do that. But I hope every sinner understands one thing, that when the Spirit starts saying come, the church is also gonna rise <laughs> and say come. Amen. When the Spirit says you ought to move this way, when the Spirit says you ought to draw in, the bride is also saying you ought to come as well oh hallelujah 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 oh let the spirit and the bride say come let the spirit and the bride say come Amen. We cannot, we cannot disengage ourselves and dismiss ourselves from the most important part of the service Amen. The Spirit says, come. There is a passage of Scripture that has just absolutely caused such, such a uh, horror in my, in my heart. I, I, I'll never, never forget the first time ever coming across this Scripture, which was years and years and years ago now, but I... I just never could get away from this. I've preached about it several times, especially when we were traveling. But in 2 Kings 19 and 3, the Bible says, and they said unto him, thus saith Hezekiah, this day is a day of trouble and of rebuke and blasphemy. For the children, hear me, for the children are come to the birth and there is not strength to bring forth 
Who are we talking about here? Amen, who are we talking about here? We're talking about the bride. We're talking about the mother. We're talking about the church. Amen, God help us and God forgive us and God search our heart and walk up and down the corridor of every mind and soul in this house today and help us to realize that the doctor can only do so much. Amen, there is only so many steps that this person can do and that person can do and after a while it is all dependent upon mama. It is all dependent on mother. Amen, mother is gonna have to have the strength to push. Amen, for as soon as Zion travailed, Isaiah said, when Zion started hollering, when Zion started screaming out, I want you to understand something this morning, that natural childbirth, amen, that's not a pleasant scene. That is not, that is not a scene where, where soft music is necessarily playing in the background and beautiful flowers are coming into full bloom. But when a mother is in the moment, in the throes of travail, there are screams that are heard down the hallway. There are screams that'll bring chill bumps to the surface of our skin. Why? Because mama realizes I've got a baby in my womb, but that baby can't live in my womb. Amen, I got a baby right here, but that baby can't live its life here. It can't go to college here. It can't graduate high school here. I got to do something to get it from here to here. Amen, and so when the spirit starts calling, I say to the bride, don't dismiss yourself. When the spirit starts calling, I say to the bride, get your eyes off your watch. Get your eyes off your schedule. Get your mind off of what may be going on a couple hours from now and say not only is the spirit gonna call, not only is the spirit gonna sin, but the church, there ought to be enough conviction in the church. There ought to be a power. In the, <laughs> there ought to be enough power in the church, enough conviction in the church that when the sinner feels a need to move, Amen. They are they are not moving by themselves, but there's a church that says, "I gotta pray, I gotta repent, I gotta call out, I gotta watch, I gotta cleanse, I gotta move, I gotta stir, I gotta I gotta do something, I gotta do something, I gotta do something." Oh, oh! I'll tell you what ought to stir the church. I tell you what ought to stir the church. What ought to stir the church is empty baptism pools. What ought to stir the church, Amen, is empty altars. What ought to stir the church is sinners that walk out of this place with dry eyes, Amen. That's what ought to stir the church, Amen. Let me tell you something. I'm not trying to negate any responsibility that I have. I hope I have cleared that, Amen, again and again and again. But this church is not like a football team. If you start a losing season, the answer is not to fire the head coach and get another one. Amen, this is not set up like a baseball team or a basketball team. If there's something wrong, we're a body. Amen, if there's something wrong, we're a body. And I gotta say, if people are not getting the Holy Ghost, then I need to examine my life. I need to take myself to an altar. And I ask you this morning, I ask you this morning, is the reason sinners are not convicted, is that because we are not convicted? Amen, if sin doesn't convict the sinner, is that because we sit with sin in our life and we are not convicted about that sin. Oh, I say, Jesus, help us. I say, God, walk up and down these halls. I say, Holy Ghost, walk up and down. I say, walk up and down these halls, oh God, and start in my mind, and start in my spirit. I pray, God, you would convict me. I pray, 
yourself in the name, in the name of Jesus. Hey, hey, hey. Oh, 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 God, we cannot live a life of spiritual fornication and come into the house of God and think that sinners are gonna feel the need to pray. If we are comfortable in the presence of sin, they're gonna be comfortable in the presence of sin. If we're comfortable with sin in our life, we can't expect them to be uncomfortable with sin in their life. And so I say, start with me. Start with me. Start with me. Because the spirit and the bride and the bride say, come the spirit and the bride. Oh, oh. <laughs> this message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.